Welcome to Watershed's November podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed and joined by Thea Berry, who's cinema producer, and also this month joined by Julia Ray, who is a student uh, on the MA curation course at the University of the West of England. And she's going to be talking about a season that she's put together that's happening this month. So welcome, Julia. Thank you. And actually, coincidentally, I should point out that Thea um, did the same course last year. Yes, um, it did. So you're yeah. seeing it from the other side. Yeah, it is. Um, it's interesting to see it from the other side, mm-hmm. and it still just comes around just as quickly. And it's it's the it's a partnership that we've had with the University of West of England now for um, a good few years, and. Um, just for our non-regular listeners who maybe missed last November's, the curation course runs by putting um, students in different arts organisations across not just Bristol now, it's actually expanded. It's now uh, includes Cardiff, it includes Hauser and Worth Gallery in Bruton. Um, and the idea is that students get experience of a real-life cultural organisation and also delivering a programme, which we, we'll, we'll talk about in a sec. But just before we go on to that, Julia, what, what, what were you doing before the, the MA? What led you to do the MA in Bristol? Because you're not from these ear parts. No, I'm from America. I grew up in Boston. And uh, my family travelled quite a lot. So when I wanted to do a degree internationally for my undergraduate, my parents were like, go, it's a good excuse for us to come and visit you. So I actually ended up in Scotland for four years. That's a good place to end up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was an amazing experience. Yeah. And I studied film and visual culture up there. So after that degree, I was fortunate enough to move out to Los Angeles, where I worked freelance in the film industry for about a year and a half before right. winding up back in Bristol for a year. Yeah. And how did you find out about the MA curation? It was my last year of my undergraduate, and I was desperately trying to figure out what part of filmmaking I wanted to be a part of, because I just, I loved so much of it, and it was quite difficult figuring out where that path was going to lead. So my friends came up to me one day and said, Julia, you're always the one you were that kid making mixtapes for people every time you find out about something cool you always want to show everyone else. You know that's a job, right? (laughs) And so I stumbled upon curation for film, which I just never considered before. And right. I found Bristol's program because it offered the placement course. Right. I hadn't had an opportunity. And this was online. This was you searching yeah, for stuff it was online, just basically. Online. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. And it was such a unique opportunity to actually get to work within the sector because yeah. that's so often a yeah. barrier to people getting jobs after a degree. Yeah. And being able to learn, there are other students on placement at fine arts galleries, at contemporary arts galleries. Yeah. And it was a really unique mix of learning from other people's practice while also getting to be really hands-on from day one. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good um, description, actually, we tend to be doing the mixtapes. Because I've, I've sort of heard that before, DJing and, and that sort of, which is about putting things together mm-hmm. um, to have an impact on an audience. And in a way, that's what curation is. Exactly. You know, you, you I was also a librarian. I love recommending books to people. Yeah. It was just something yeah. that... I had never considered you can make money off of this. You can kind of spread that joy to other people and yeah. make a career. And what's the year been like? Because so, it runs from January to December, so mm-hmm. you're, you're coming to the, the end of the course. What's, what, what's it been like for the past few months? It's been a bit of a whirlwind, honestly. I was from day one put right in, and you Waters have been amazing just letting me in on meetings right away, trusting me very early on, which I wasn't expecting because I still feel like I'm quite young to be given all of this responsibility. But it's been amazing. We start off with a group project in the course, so we really just 
get launched into the life of the city right away. Mm. And we do quite a bit of intensive academic work as well. So there are essays and readings that you just wouldn't have ever considered had you not yeah. been brought into the curation world. Yeah. And then we also do quite a lot of site visits, which is really unique. We get to speak with curators from around England and yeah. focus on their different modes of practice, yeah. which wasn't something I'd ever had the opportunity yeah. to do for. And yeah. then while I'm here, it's been amazing to see just the way that Watershed Works have gotten really an inside privileged look at not only the curation side, but the day-to-day -day management of how it works as a business. Yeah, uh, well, that's great. Um, I'm glad it's um, I'm glad it's had that uh, impact, and that's what I've always felt was the great strength about the partnership on the MA curation is that students engage with that real life mm -hmm. experience because the, the, there is a it can be quite abstract for a start. Uh, and, you, and you can think about things, but you've actually got to deliver it for an audience. Yeah. So you can think about putting on whatever, but how are you going to put it on to, in front of an audience? And that gives you um, that whole thought process that you've got to work through, um, which of course is where you're at and what's yeah. happening in November. So the, the season that you've put together is We Are Here. Just mm -hmm. tell us how, what it's about and how, that, how it came about. So while I was in Los Angeles, I got the chance to work with some incredibly talented minority Latina filmmakers, and I really wanted to carry that mode into what I'm doing with curation. And I'm a queer woman, and so queer and LGBTQ film has really been a passion of mine just on the side. And this degree has given me the opportunity to really highlight that with my season. So We Are Here came about, I was just looking up um, other queer film festivals that had been put on and I came to see that it was the 25th anniversary release of Priscilla Queen of the Desert which is an absolutely yeah. iconic film, a film yeah. that I've loved for a very yeah. very long time and I was able to jump on that opportunity and create a season kind of highlighting the spaces that queer people and LGBT people have occupied throughout history and within film. I've been in this game long enough to remember when Priscilla Queen of the Desert was first <laughs> released, actually here, here at Watershed. And it was such a, a joyous, um, celebratory, lively, colorful, yeah. you know, and it is about a, a, a group of gay, very camp performers. Mm -hmm. Turn stamp <laughs> is the is is the old the old hand in it, and the three of them go into the the outback in Australia. So you get this amazing sort of culture culture clash, but it's just so fantastically joyous. I, I, I remember, it and, it was a, and it was a huge hit when it was first when it was first released. And I think that joy is something I really identified with. There are so many. LGBTQ plus films where the character dies at the end, something really tragic happens, yeah. and Priscilla offers this just incredible look into these people's lives. It is fun, it does get sad at times, but there's this feeling of support within the film yeah. and the fact that like these are incredible people and you're cheering for them the mm. entire time. Mm. So that energy was something I really wanted to capture with this season of it's not just all sad endings yeah. it very well, much it's is. not just it's not all just conflict exactly, or, or yeah. you know that thing about legislation and getting mm -hmm. to the minutia of you know the the, the the important but those kinds of civil rights um, yeah. you know arguments um, but this is about as I say the 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 joy of the life yeah and exactly. the joy of the performer yeah. and knowing just the positives throughout history that have happened yeah. to gay people are innumerable but often get left by the wayside because there are such tragic things yeah. that happen that get published by mass media. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice to be able to come back to the happy things. And so that was a great timing. And what, what, what else is, is in the season? 
So we start off with Cabaret, which again is just an incredible film. Mm. Uh, Liza Minnelli, just truly a classic. And that is followed by uh, Sex, Lies, and Religion, which is a film by Annette Kennerly, which incredible filmmaker. She's actually based in London. And Dyke's Camera Action, which is a new documentary about uh, gay women in the film industry. Uh, then we have The Wound, which is about a gay South African man. And that correlates really nicely with the Africa Eye Film Festival that's yeah. on soon. And we have Jonathan Agassi, Save My Life, which is a documentary about an Israeli gay porn star, which I thought was a really interesting look. You often go, sex work is often a very large part of queer people's lives when they're on the edges of society. Mm. And so it was like, this man has this incredible stardom based on something that's considered so taboo, even in the straight world. And being able to bring that to the screen is, I think, mm. a really unique opportunity. And then we rounded out with Victor Victoria, because who doesn't love Julie Andrews and drag? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the final film is Priscilla. That's great. And a great range there, as you say, of, of, of different aspects mm -hmm. of gay experience and, and, and gay life. Um, but there's other events as well, isn't there? There's an opportunity for, for audiences to engage in some of the issues, but also some of the celebrations. Yeah, there is. Uh, that's been a really amazing part of working with Watershed, is you guys do a lot of outside activities. You don't just show films. That's never been how you operate. So I've been able to organize a DJ event, which has been uh, hosted by DJ Devalicious, who is a local queer community organizer and activist. Panel discussion with local drag performers and the, again the DJ who's hosting our DJ night. And then finally I'm working with a local drag booker, Wig in the Box Productions, and we're doing an after party that is going to be hosted. Location to be determined, <laughs> but it's sure to be a really good night. This is all part of the uh, thrills and spills of putting, mm -hmm. uh, putting actual, actual, yeah. actual events on. And of course there's a, there's, you'll be writing up a dissertation on this as well. Yeah, no small feat as well. <laughs> yeah, this will give this will give you some great experiences, I guess, mm -hmm. um, to inform the academic and the the writing side of it. Which, as I say, going back to it, is one of the sort of great coming together of the academic and the kind of business industry yeah. um, audience facing side. It's been a really unique opportunity to see a project through completely from conception all the way through to the final delivery and then the wrap up at the end of it. Because so often when I was working freelance in Los Angeles, I was either pre-production or I was production or I was post-production. It's been quite a unique experience to see something all the way through. Yeah. Great. And, and people can find out more about the season at watershed.co.uk and search for We Are Here. And it runs through the whole month. Um, also this month, uh, we are in the middle of uh, festivals season. Uh, we, we had encounters. In, in September, in October, we had Festival of the Future City, uh, and it continues this month with Africa Eye uh, Festival, which we've been developing with the Africa Eye team over the past few months. Uh, it's been going now for eight years. It runs from Friday the 8th to Sunday the 10th of November and opens with The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, directed by Chiatel Ejiofor. And it's a it's a it's a cinema um, preview. The film has been around for um, a couple of years now, uh, and it was a Netflix original. So it was only on Netflix and screened in a small amount of festivals across the world. Um, um, so it's not been screened theatrically in cinemas in the UK. Uh, so absolutely delighted that this is opening the festival, and it's 
Chewtel Edgefors, who people will probably remember, certainly watershed audiences, from his performance in 12 Years a Slave. And it's his debut as a writer and director and brings to life the story of William Kam Kwamba, a 13-year-old boy from Malawi who designs and builds a life-saving wind turbine. And based on an extraordinary true story, um, and it's a fantastic uh, opening film. The festival closes with another uh, wonderful documentary, which is a kind of real testament to the power of cinema, called Talking About Trees, from Sudanese director Suhab Gazmel Bara, which follows uh, four Sudanese filmmakers to revive uh, cinema, um, cinema going, cinema and film in Sudan, a country that's been wreaked havoc by Islamic fundamentalism. And it really is a great, um, as I say, testament to the power of cinema and the power of culture. Um, and in between those, those two points, there is a, a whole load of previews, discussions, events. So great to have Africa Eye back again this month. In between those two films, there's a whole series of, of previews, screenings, events, live performance in the cafe bar. So a great opportunity to um, see very, very rarely screened um, African films and this for me is one of the important aspects of film festivals is they they allow us to see work that doesn't get into theatrical distribution. It, I've said this before in many podcasts, it's crazy, in the UK there are 900 films released a year, um, sometimes there's 15, 20 films released a week so there's no shortage of films um, but yet still a lot yeah. of great films <laughs> do not get through and, and you just see that with Africa Eye. Uh, and Thea, you, there's, a, there's a couple more um, festivals that we, we take. We don't host the festival per se, mm. but we take some of the films from the original festival. Yeah, I think what's really brilliant when we have touring film festival programmes is that when they're happening in London or in other cities across the UK and, and Bristol audiences can't get to it, is that we can host a couple of screenings here, which is really brilliant. So we have the Jewish Film Festival on tour. We have two screenings, um, one of uh, Solomon and Gaynor, and then also uh, The Birdcatcher as well, which we haven't had space for in the general release, so it's really exciting that we'll still be able to host a screening of it. Uh, we will also be hosting the London Korean Film Festival on tour. With, we'll be having two screenings, uh, one of The Flower and Hell on 35mm, and it's always a joy to see stuff, see films on 35mm, and then also Hong Sang-soo's Grass, as well, which I haven't seen, so I'm really excited to be able to see that. Because yeah. Hong Sang Soo is one of the most prolific uh, South Korean yeah. uh, filmmakers, whose work is screened regularly at, at international film festivals. But unlike you know his contemporaries, his work doesn't really get um, out into certainly the UK. And it's great. There's a real sort of new wave sort of energy to his to his work. Excellent that we can screen his new film, Grass. Uh, and The Flower and Hell, you, you mentioned, is a, an older rep title, so a bit of cinema rediscovered yeah. uh, ha <laughs> happening there. And as you say, on 35mm, um, which is a great opportunity to see it. But it just reminds us of uh, the strength of Korean uh, filmmaking and its, mm. its history as well, and as a good little appetiser for the fantastic Parasite, um, which is yes. going to be opening in February next year, um, which one can and has just been getting rave reviews and it's an absolutely brilliant film and I can't wait to show it. So there's a little appetiser yeah. in the London <laughs> Korean Film Festival on tour. And then also um, we have the UK Green Film Festival. We'll be showing two features from their 
programme. The Green Lie by Vernaboot, which is a really fascinating documentary about how corporations have sort of swept in and whether they are brainwashing audiences in terms of green products. So whether green products, are they the way forward in terms of being environmentally friendly, in terms of saving the planet, or are they nothing more than a dangerous capitalist lie? And then also the more meditative, beautiful documentary called Earth by Nicholas Gerhalter, which is about the landscape change. So rather than environmental impact, it's more of the, the effects on the landscape in terms of things of mining and excavation and what that happens to, what ha how that affects communities around the world. And, and it's good um, timing fits with Watershed um, being part of a group of cultural venues in Bristol who have joined in declaring a climate emergency and very much been part of that debate and discussion and action around um, the climate emergency. And, you know, film has always, I guess since The Inconvenient Truth, actually, mm. um, the documentary that, um, was it Vice President Al Gore at the time, yes. made, um, which really opened the, the environmental issues up to a much wider audience, which of course is what cinema can do. Mm. Um, and we've, since then, we've always been, been screening films in that area. So just begins to give them more um, focus um, and widen the debate about the range of issues. So, so festivals to get to take part in festivals, screenings of work from festivals that have happened that you can catch up with films that are rarely screened. But finally, I have got to say a word for Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. We, we had a preview of it last month, direct from its closing night screening at the London Film Festival with the whole team, director Martin Scorsese, stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, um, going up the red carpet. It was a fantastic event and, and really felt from the cinema at Watershed that you were kind of somehow a bit, little bit part of that event. And then I watched the film, all 208 minutes of it. Uh, I wish, uh, when it ended, I thought to myself, oh, we're just getting started. Can we, can, we just, <laughs> can we just continue? It's obviously late career, Scorsese. He is, without doubt, in my mind, one of the great um, filmmakers. There's no one quite like him. And even though I think that's one of the things that a bad film can be too long, but a long film, if it's good, can never be long enough. And I think that's something that what he does and he's a real master of is really hooking, hooking you in. And he's, he's back on the, the territory that he and De Niro, I guess, really sort of shaped so well, which is that New York, Italian-American, mafia, mobster, unions. So they're all, all, everything about power and control of those organisations. But it's, it's the, the violence is way down mm. and it's actually more about, um, it's more about morality. And it, 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 I just thought it was really extraordinary film. Um, De Niro plays Frank Sheeran, who's a lorry driver who gets sucked into the Teamsters Union via mobster. Uh, Russell Buffalino, who's played brilliantly by Joe Pesci, brought out of retirement to play the role. And Sheeran, the Irishman of the title, ends up as a fixer for the union boss, Jimmy Hoffa, Al Pacino. Again, they're all just in extraordinary um, form. Now, these are all men of a certain age who are you know, playing these power games. But for me, one of the, kind of the key characters is Anna Paquin, who actually only has one line in the film. And, and Scorsese thought, I think, I should give him more lines. And then, and then he looked at it and thought, no, 
it's her look mm. and it's her look at all these, and particularly Frank Sheeran, her, her father in the film, um, that makes her the moral centre of, of the film. And even if she's not got a, a huge part in relationship to her, her, the male star counterparts, she's absolutely the moral centre of, of the film. Um, but just, I, I just want to watch it again and again because there's so much um, going on in it. But and it's obviously, well, like I said, it's Scorsese's um, sort of late masterpiece. He's probably got another few under his belt <laughs> to come. Um, but credit absolutely to um, Thelma Schoenmacher, his longtime editor, because it's so brilliantly constructed and edited. It's, it's if she doesn't get an Oscar for it. Um, there is no justice, yeah. and it goes back to Rage and Bull. You know, um, I think they won for that, and it's it's up there with that kind of quality. But also Sandy Powell, the great costume designer, Sandy Powell, who's done work with Todd Haynes, who did um, the Favorite earlier this year for oh, stunning uh, your, costumes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, 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 uh, the detail on it just makes you in that milieu, which moves between 30s, 50s, uh, sorry, 40s, 50s, 60s. And of course, um, the, the, there is the de-aging or youthification, as it's now called, the digital. <laughs> I did not notice it at all, so do not get hung up on uh, any any of those technical issues. Immerse yourself in this absolutely wonderful film, The Irishman. So that's all for this month. Thank you, Julia, and thank you, Thea.